Um, hey, because preaching is a work uh, of our whole community, um, even even during Lent, we're having a um, a cohort of preachers who are going to be preaching. So I'll, I'm only going to preach once during Lent. I think uh, next week will be Ryan. The week after will be somebody else. Uh, because it's a work of the community, and because we need the Holy Spirit to hear and respond today, uh, I pray the Lord be with you, and and then you pray also with you. So let's do that right now. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, thanks for this uh, this time to consider your word and to be uh, laid open by your spirit. We pray that we would hear from you today. Just want to hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our passage today is Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> We see uh, Matthew tells us the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. And after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. This is uh, the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is a season of uh, approximately 40 days. If you take out the Sundays, I'll say more about that in a bit. If you take out the Sundays, it's 40 days. It's a time of preparation and purification to ready ourselves for Easter. Uh, and just as Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness uh, after his baptism to begin his ministry, so the church spends 40 days uh, readying themselves for Resurrection Sunday. And today we see Jesus uh, in the wilderness as a prototype and a pattern. He is uh, the human who is the first of his kind, in the sense that he succeeds where every human prior to him has failed. Uh, and because of that success and ultimate victory in the cross, uh, he becomes a pattern for us to live into today. Right? So today we pray, proclaim the good news that the Spirit of God meets us in the wilderness during our Lenten fast so we can face our temptations and feast on God's presence. Today the good news is that the Spirit of God meets us in the wilderness during our Lenten fast so we can face our temptations and feast on God's presence. This, this, this passage begins with uh, this phrase, the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness. And I'll say more about this in a bit, but the wilderness is a symbol in uh, Israel's day for a wild, dangerous, inhospitable place. It's a place of brigands, and wild beasts. It's not a place you... It wasn't a destination spot. It was... If you had to go through it, you got through as quickly as possible. The Spirit led Jesus there, but in our day today, um, wilderness isn't uh, necessarily like... Uh, <laughs> there really are fewer wilderness places for us, right? Uh, even, even, even the hinterlands like Bern are, are still not a wilderness place, right? Uh... But I'm struck by the fact that we often spend a lot of our time avoiding wilderness places, symbolically in our lives, whereas the Spirit of God leads Jesus there. So I was running errands last week with Deacon. Um, <laughs> I was running errands last week with Deacon. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and the lights are like right on the clock, so I can't see the time. So, and, oh, oh, there's a clock. Great. Um, running errands with Deacon last weekend, and we were talking about... 
summer camps. And so uh, he's got this thing where we had talked about Boy Scout camp last year. He didn't want to go, didn't want to go, didn't want to go. We kind of did everything but like pay him $100 to go because we really needed them to go. And he went and he loved it. And same thing with Connor Prairie camp last summer. And, and we've had, he started to have these conversations again. Well, he's been telling me he wants to play golf with me, uh, which uh, I used to play a lot of golf. Uh, in, in seasons past, and I haven't played very much recently. And so I, I was talking to another parent at a baseball tryout about um, this golf camp that she sends her kids to just right up, the, right up the road at Stony Creek Golf Course. And I thought, wow, that'd be awesome. Deacon could go to golf camp. Um, you know, it would be like free childcare. Not free childcare, but childcare for the summer for us. And uh, it's actually pretty expensive. Um, but anyway, I, I just broached the subject with Deacon. Deacon, you know how you want to play golf? Yeah. And uh, you know how you want to play golf with me? What if you went to golf camp and we got a, like a membership at this par three golf course this summer and play golf together? No. Man, here it is again, like the speed bump of Deacon not wanting to go to these camps. And I was like, Deacon, why not? You, you, you love golf, this will help you get better. I don't want to get better. I want to stay just the way I am right now. And I'm like, you know, in the car, I'm just like, this is, unf- this is unfathomable for me. So I'm thinking about this, and I just begin to ask him questions. I got compassionately curious. And uh, eventually it came out that Deacon feels a lot of anxiety when he's around kids he doesn't know. He doesn't like being in large groups of people where he doesn't know anybody because he feels left out. And he wants to avoid these kinds of situations, right? Can you relate to this? <laughs> I, as I listen to him talk about this, uh, you can, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> if you're not an extroverted evangelist uh, in Enneagram too, you might be able to relate to this. Um, I, I, I guess for me, uh, it's not just that large crowds make me anxious, but this tendency to, to want to avoid places that make us worried. And as I talk with Deacon, I said, Deacon, here's the thing. If you don't go to camp, you won't get anxious around those kids, but I know you'd miss out on a lot of goodness, too. And I t- talked about Connor Prairie Camp and Boy Scout Camp. And he said, yeah. And I said, so what's a better strategy than avoiding anxiety that doesn't cost us goodness? I don't know, Dad. (laughs) So we're in the process of talking about that. But I was struck by the fact, I was struck by the fact that that, uh, this tendency that Deacon has to avoid anxiety, like we all do this. We all avoid places that that we think are dangerous relationally or emotionally for us, places that uh, make us anxious or worried or concerned, places that we uh, are, are afraid of, right? We avoid these things so, that, so as to sort of keep everything comfortable and safe. Yeah, can you relate to that? We, lo- we love our comfort. We love our safety. Uh, and today, though, friends, today what we see, uh, <laughs> what we see in the wilderness in Jesus is that uh, the Spirit of God doesn't prize comfort and safety in the same way we do because uh, the Spirit of God knows that it's, it's not staying away from our wilderness places that keeps us away from temptation, but it's stepping into those wilderness places with the Spirit 
that lets us face temptation and finally overcome it and be victorious of it. The good news today is that the Spirit of God meets us in the wilderness of our Lenten fast so that we can face our temptation and feast on God's presence. So let's look at our text to see uh, what's going on here and then, uh, and then call us to response. Um, you guys remember the, uh, the beginning of Epiphany was Jesus' baptism, which is immediately preceding this, this text in, in chapter 3. So the baptism of Jesus and the temptation or the wilderness temptation of Jesus, these are, these are, uh, are pieces of Israel's story that Jesus is, uh, here's a big fancy word, he's recapitulating Israel's story. He's redoing it in a more faithful way. Right? And so uh, Jesus being in the wilderness, uh, the wilderness is a place that Israel wandered in for, for 40 years. Yeah, it's a place that the prophets would go uh, to meet with God. Uh, it's the place where the law was given to Moses. So the wilderness was a really pregnant metaphor, symbol, in Israel's imagination. Uh, not only was it a place of, uh, of like danger and inhospitality, like I said, but it's also a place of testing a place of trial, a place of temptation, yeah? Uh, and this number 40, so the 40 days of, of Jesus being there and being starving is symbolic, right? Moses fasted 40 days in the desert. Elijah fasted in the wilderness, right? Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. So Jesus is in this familiar place for a familiar period of time that punctuates this, this uh, huge uh, Israel story. And the question is, like, what's going to happen here? Because Israel and ultimately Moses, they failed in the wilderness. Right? Israel, Moses failed in the wilderness. He wasn't able to enter the promised land. Israel had to spend a whole generation, 40 years there. So uh, it's very symbolic. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus is victorious here. And so he becomes sort of the champion, if you will. So you guys remember the story of, um, we don't really have champions today in the way that uh, ancient people did, but you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? That was, a, that was a, uh, a story of David being the champion of Israel, and he defeated the Philistines' champion, Goliath. And when David defeated Goliath, that settled the battle, right? So Jesus here is the champion of Israel. And he's going into the wilderness to confront and face temptation and to ultimately defeat it on behalf of Israel. So uh, that's the backdrop. That's the setting here. This, is a, this isn't just a one-off story, but it's a very pregnant, symbolic world. And the three temptations that Jesus is face, faces, the turning stones into bread and jumping off the temple and, and having all the kingdoms of the world if he'll bow before uh, the accuser, uh, these are these are archetypal. So these don't just happen to Jesus, uh, and they don't uh, they don't just happen they don't just happen to Jesus. They always happen to all of us. So archetypal means they're sort of uh, these really big meta temptations. This is why uh, Ryan read from Genesis chapter three today. Uh, there's a reason why these two texts are held together in the lectionary. Because the same temptations that Eve and Adam faced in the garden, Jesus is facing in the wilderness. And if we had time, uh, we could go into uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus, and read, read about 
Israel's journey in the wilderness, and we'd see them facing these same three temptations. And on every temptation, uh, either they or Moses blew it. They failed. Briefly, we talk about these a lot in our DNA groups. We're just getting into them. So uh, another reason to come on Tuesday nights now. <laughs> uh, but the, the three temptations are the temptation uh, to, to have enough, to turn stones into bread, the temptation of appetite and provision. Right? The worry, the anxiety of I won't have enough. Secondly, the temptation of, of approval or popularity, throwing yourself off the temple, being at the highest point in the most populated city and doing a miraculous feat, like, you know, David Blaine squared here. Like just a miraculous feat so that everyone can see, right? Everyone can see, right? So the temptation of popularity and approval, the temptation of uh, I'm not enough, but I am if, if you say I am. And then the third, the temptation to ambition or power, right? This bowing down before Satan and having all the kingdoms of the world given in an instant. The temptation of uh, doing enough. Doing enough. I haven't done enough. Yeah. So these are always the temptations. These are always the things that interfere with our identity as God's kids. Always the temptations, right? And so Satan's temptation to Jesus isn't so much to doubt that he's God's son, like some translations say, if you are the son of God, uh, but, but rather a better translation is Satan is saying, oh, since you're the son of God, do this, right? So, so Satan isn't disagreeing with his sonship. He wants to define his sonship. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. It's much easier to try to define something someone already agrees with than it is to disagree with something that's a fundamental reality of their identity. And that's what Satan does here. Notice that Satan uh, uses Scripture to do it. So it's not enough to be biblical, people. <laughs> Satan's biblical here. Right? It's the way we use Scripture is important. So Jesus then, led by the Spirit of God, into the wilderness, he's fasting, he's starving, and that's right when these temptations come, right at his weakness. So we see here one of the things that fasting does. Fasting makes us physically weak so that we can encounter our temptations head on. Head on. Fasting isn't uh, righteousness, meaning it's not something we do to show God how much we love Him or to make up for the wrong things we've done. It's not penance, make up for the wrong things we've done. It's not, we're not building credit in our bank account for look how holy or pious I am. Um, but rather, it's a, it's a discipline that, is, that opens us up to the grace of God and lets the temptations that are always there come to the surface and be seen. That's what fasting does. And it takes away the mechanisms by which we usually manage all the bad news that work in our lives. 
So fasting is the way we put ourselves in the way of grace. It's voluntarily making ourselves weak so that we can rely on God's strength and power. So these temptations Jesus faced, they were always with him. They were always with him. But fasting brought them to the surface so that he could face them and feast on God's presence. You see? It wasn't like Satan just shows up, throw these temptations, Jesus is like, whew, done with that. Now I'm good to go to heal and, and raise the dead and, and teach and stuff. This fasting was the way by which all the stuff that's always there comes to the forefront. And that's the good news for us today, too, is that fasting is a gift, friends. It's a gift for us. The Spirit of God leads us into the wilderness of a Lenten fast so that we can face our temptations head-on and feast on the presence of God. So what, what's the bad news at work in your life today? Where is the temptation for popularity or power or provision? Where does that show up for you? Where does the anxiety or the worry of not having enough or not being enough or not having done enough, where does that come up for you? So for me, I, um, I'm realizing I'm fasting from caffeine for Lent. And I'm, I'm realizing uh, that um, I have a ton of anxiety every day that I haven't done enough when it comes to, like, all the things I have to do. I've got about, I use, we use this tool called Basecamp to manage uh, all the work we have to do. And I've got about 268 unread alerts on Basecamp. That creates a lot of anxiety in me. I feel like I haven't done enough yet. And the way that I typically manage that is I, I don't want to go to golf camp. So 268 becomes 269. And maybe by the end of our worship today, it'll be 272. <laughs> right? And one of the ways that I avoid this, this feeling I haven't done enough is I sort of just... Uh, I dump caffeine on my anxiety because I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather like douse my anxiety with caffeine than actually face it, than actually look it right in the face and name it for what it is. Another thing I'm fasting from for Lent is social media during the work week. Um, and that's because in one of the ways I handle like this overwhelming feeling I haven't done enough, this temptation to, um, to despair, is I, I simply just gorge myself on social information, <laughs> right? News and stuff. And so these fasts for me, uh, these fasts for me are, are, are the ways that I put my, make myself intentionally weak. I don't want to avoid my anxiety anymore. Right? This temptation to be anxious, to doubt, to fear, right, is always there. And I want to be more present to it. Right? So there's, there's already a wilderness in my life. And the fast helps me be there. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? There's already a wilderness in my life. 
and the fast helps me be there. Our family uh, is fasting from screens on Sundays. So, uh, like no phones, no games, um, no television, stuff like that. Uh, that's another way that we're going to meet each other in the spirit of God in the wilderness. Friends, friends, what's the, uh, what's the fast? What's the fast that could be a gift to you this Lenten season? Where is the spirit of God leading you into a wilderness time to face the bad news at work in you? so that you can feast on God's presence. Maybe it has something to do with eating and drinking. This has been a huge part of the church's history, right? Either, I grew up Catholic, we would fast from meat on Fridays, right? Um, but maybe it's, maybe there's a, a food fast that would help you, or a drink fast. Like for me, I mean, caffeine, I don't, I just drink coffee. So basically it's a fast from coffee. And decaf is undrinkable, so it's a fast from coffee. <laughs> so what? So that's what it looks like for me. But what does it look like for you? I had a friend who once fasted from the mirror for Lent because they realized that this temptation for approval and popularity showed up in their life with this fixation on their appearance, and they were constantly checking and rechecking to make sure they were presentable and acceptable. And they just decided to stop looking in the mirror for Lent. And so what happened was it didn't fix their need for approval. It just brought it front and center. Right? Front and center. And they had to meet God right there. I want to give us just uh, 60 seconds or so to... I trust, uh, so we don't legislate, like we're not legislating Lent here, something, <laughs> not that we could. Like there isn't like this rule that you have to fast, but we do trust that it's good for us, that this is a discipline that, that uh, Jesus not only was a prototype, meaning he was victorious, but he's the pattern. So we actually follow him in the pattern he sets in his life. And this is one of the ways we conform to the life of Christ. So let me just give us 60 seconds or so to consider what, what kind of fast would the Lord want me to have this lens? So take 60 seconds and consider that.